Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. <laughs> Sorry. So, how's it going? Happy Hanukkah. Oh, happy Hanukkah. We just, Rachel made latkes. Yeah. With sour cream and applesauce. And I wasn't going to eat them, but of course I ate six. (laughs) I piled a bunch on Desi's plate and she's like, she was like, Jesus, that's a lot of latkes. I was like, you're going to eat all of them. Because you know what? I wasn't technically hungry. (laughs) (laughs) We all know what that means. But you know what? Still, she persisted. I got it done. Your skin looks really good. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I just, I'm sorry. I just noticed that. I feel like I'm in a commercial. (laughs) What's your secret? Uh, Okay, so let's start off by thanking our patrons for this week. This week we had Lex, Kendall, David, Rachel, Cassidy, Christina, Nick, Stacy, Kaylee, Carrie Jo, Maya, Allison, and that's it. Thank you guys so much. Wow, thanks guys. We really appreciate it. That's great. We are talking about... The Murder of Marion Parker. So the book I read for this episode is called Butterfly in the Rain, The 1927 Abduction and Murder of Marion Parker by James L. Newbar. James L. Newbar, I, 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 made, I always do a little bit of reading about who I'm, whose book I'm reading just so I know it's like... It's not like a Reddit Right. It's not Shit a poster. It's not a Reddit board. So I, this guy actually has some uh, cred, like he's a historian of sorts. So, uh, I, and it had a lot of good reviews. It was a good book. I do recommend it. It goes into a lot of great detail about the case and about the police investigation and about the trial. So without further ado, on December 15th, 1927, 12-year-old Marion Parker and her twin sister, Marjorie, were headed to school at Mount Vernon Junior High in Los Angeles. Marjorie was the girly girl and Marion was the tomboy. Marjorie enjoyed tea parties and playing with dolls, and Marion was athletic and liked to play football with the boys. Still, the pair had an unbreakable bond. Marion was a friendly girl, not a troublemaker. She always came home when it got dark, and she was relatively shy around strangers, which I don't think is that uncommon for a 12-year-old right. girl. Any kid, you're kind of shy yeah, around strangers. Definitely. Especially as you get a little bit older, where you realize. <laughs> like, I think sometimes when you're younger, you're more... Some kids are yeah. more... I mean, some kids are definitely shy kids, but then there are more gregarious yeah. children, like hams. So the girl's mother, Geraldine Parker, was a homemaker, and their father was Perry Parker, a cashier at the First National Trust and Savings Bank. On this day, December 15th, the principal, Cora Friedman, was out. And so a teacher named Mary Holt, who was normally just in charge of attendance, also took charge of the administrator duties that day. At around noon, a neatly dressed man entered the school and approached Mary Holt at her desk. He introduced himself as Mr. Cooper, not hanging with Mr. Cooper. That's all I could think about, which just like really shows my age right now. But like I had that theme song stuck in my head 
for like an entire day <laughs> after reading this part. I'm sorry. So this guy introduces himself as Mr. Cooper. He told Mary Holt that he worked with Perry Parker at the bank and that Perry Parker had been in a car accident. He said that he was there to pick up his daughter. And Mrs. Holt was like, well, there are two Parker girls. And Mr. Cooper said, uh, just give me the younger one. <laughs> and obviously there was no younger sister because they were both twins. Mm -hmm. However, Mary Holt assumed that Mr. Cooper must have meant Marion Parker because she was a little bit smaller than her sister and she had been born a few minutes later. I don't think that counts. But apparently the two girls at one point had joked that Marion was the little sister of the two. But even still, if the father got into a car accident, why would you only need one of the girls? <laughs> right. It's very odd. Yeah. It's very odd. So Mrs. Holt said, oh, do you mean Marion? And Mr. Cooper was like, yes, I do mean Marion. More like Mrs. Dalt. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Harsh Des. <laughs> Mary Holt was typically a very responsible employee at Mount Vernon Junior High. She had a reputation of being very just thorough. And by making, the book. By the book. She double-checked always the identities of adults that came into the school asking about children she she was she was very responsible, but today she felt particularly because she was doing two things. Like, I I never right. thought about that. Yeah, so maybe she was a little spread thin. Her guard was let down, but she was also notably more relaxed because this man who came in, Mister Cooper, put her at ease. He was very disarming. He was well dressed. He seemed completely non-threatening, and she sort of just took what he said in good faith like oh why would he lie about this right why would someone lie about such a horrible thing marion parker was then called to the front office mr cooper explained who he was and she left with him without any hesitation and why would she there was an adult there vouching for this guy right it was happening at her school so she, everyone's just trusting everyone yeah basically. she's taking this at face value when Principal Mrs. Freeman returned to school later that day, she was alerted of Mr. Parker's car accident and about the man who had picked up Marion Parker, but she didn't ask any further questions. None of the adults alerted Marion's sister Marjorie of any of this. So when school got out, Marjorie was surprised that her sister was absent as she waited for the streetcar that was going to take them home. I think that's odd that Marjorie was not... No one po popped their head into her class like, hey, your sister. I mean, it's just weird because obviously why would you not take both of them, like I said before? So Marjorie waited for her sister, but she never appeared. So eventually she decided she's going to go home because she doesn't want to miss the streetcar. Right. When Marjorie arrived home, she told her parents that Marion had missed the streetcar. Mr. and Mrs. Parker assumed that their daughter was probably staying late after school. Maybe she was helping to clean up the classroom because they all had their Christmas parties in the classrooms that right. day. Marion would probably be home later on the later streetcar. Just before dark, Perry Parker phoned the school to ask about his daughter. Mary Holt answered. Of course, she was surprised to hear from Perry. She thought he was in a serious car accident and she was like oh my god like how are you I, I sent her home with mr cooper after your accident and mr parker was like excuse me right uh i didn't have a car accident today in fact i haven't even left the house i've been home all day with my wife it's my 40th birthday just as the parkers were about to call the police the doorbell rang 
It was a telegram from Western Union. It read, do positively nothing till you receive special delivery letter. The telegram was sent from Pasadena and appeared to have been signed by Marion. The Parkers decided to follow the letter and wait for their next instructions. A few hours later, they received another telegram, this time from Alhambra. It read, Marion secure. Use good judgment. Interference with my plans, dangerous. This time, the letter was signed by someone named George Fox. Sounds like a made-up name. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds like a porn star name. George Fox. Or, or like my new... George what a fox. It sounds like my new drag king name. Yeah, George Fox. <laughs> I might have to steal that. Um, yeah. That must be an intensely stressful situation <laughs> to have your child kidnapped and beginning these letters. Like, I can't even... Oh, my God. I just can't imagine, like, being a parent... Yeah, because you're like kind of partially, I'm sure you're like, we have to do everything they say. And then another part of me would probably be like, fuck these bitches. <laughs> I'm calling the police. Like, right, Because right. I don't trust them. Like, What do you do? And it's always like, I mean, you see so many movies about like hostage situations gone wrong. Right. Do you or, fight them? Are they dead already? Like, Right. Yeah. Marjorie told her parents that when her and her sister were headed to school that day in the streetcar, that a man had been driving a gray coupe and who had been following alongside the streetcar. And they didn't think it was odd at the time, but now given these telegrams that were arriving, Marjorie's like, well, now that I think about it. She's starting to remember suspicious things. Right. By the next morning, the Parkers finally decided to call the police. While the police were at the Parker house taking statements from the family, another telegram arrived. It read, PM Parker, use good judgment. You are the loser. Do this. Secure $75 gold certificates, U.S. currency, $1,500 at once. Keep them on your person. Go about your daily business as usual. Leave out police and detectives. Make no public notice. Keep this affair private. Make no search. Fulfilling these terms with the transfer of currency will secure the return of the girl. Failure to comply with these requests means no one will ever see the girl again except the angels in heaven. The affair must end one way or the other within three days, 72 hours. You will receive further notice, but the terms remain the same. Fate. That's what it was signed by this time. I like how serious they always sound in these. <laughs> right. <laughs> these like letters where they're just like, I repeat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a certain tone they always use where it's just like it's very pretentious yeah because you know most of the time they're just desperate losers who are like need money for something but they're trying to sound like all tough guys and criminals uh they only wanted fifteen hundred dollars we're gonna get into that okay <laughs> there was another letter that arrived with this letter and it was from marion and it said dear daddy and mother i wish i could come home i think i'll die if i have to be like this much longer won't someone tell me why this had to happen to me? Daddy, please do what this man tells you or he'll kill me if you don't. Marion Parker. So the police agreed with the Parkers to keep the story out of the press at this time to give the impression that Perry Parker was following the kidnapper's instructions. And the money that the kidnapper demanded, yeah, it was a lot of money, but it was pretty small for a ransom. Even in those, I mean, I, I don't know, what's $1,500 now? It's like 100 years ago. Like, it's a good chunk of change. Guess. Maybe it's like $20,000. Right. I don't know. But it's just a little too low to go through the trouble of kidnapping. 
I also don't know how wealthy this family is because he's like the president of a bank. No, he's a cashier at a bank. Oh, so he's he's not rich at all. No. Oh my god. Yeah. So he's they're just expecting he could steal the money from a bank. <laughs> uh, like where is he going to get this money? This is not being targeted at a rich family at yeah. all. And we'll get that's into that. That's crazy. Okay. That's why the kidnapper, I mean, that's why the detectives, they were like, this is odd because this isn't a high, this isn't the usual high amount of money right. that people who kidnap kids, usually kids from wealthy families demand. This is like a, you know, middle class suburban family, you know. Right. How would they even have been picked? Because they clearly knew the name Right. It wasn't like a random kidnapping. Right. The te- the detectives, of course, asked the Parkers, you know, do you guys have any known enemies? And they're like, no. And they didn't. They were just like this completely ordinary family. And they certainly weren't rich. So Perry Parker withdrew the $1,500 from the bank. And when he did, he recorded the serial number from each bill. And he was smart to do that because, I mean, and that was just his natural instinct because he was a banker. So he's like, oh serial number right they can trace this perry then went to work as usual at the bank being careful to stay calm so as not to draw suspicions from co-workers i mean i cannot even imagine having to go to work and pretend like everything is normal that day yeah that seems really tense right detectives next went to mount vernon junior high to question mary holt about the man who took marion from school According to Mary, he was between the ages of 25 and 30, 150 pounds, slim, about 5'8 in height. He was clean-shaven with dark brown wavy hair. He wore a gray herringbone coat and a dark gray hat. Obviously, at this point, Mary Holt is absolutely beside herself. Yeah. Because she can't believe that she just... Gave a kid to this person. (laughs) That she just did what she did. Yeah. Like... No, that's horrible. Right. She had to be sedated. Wow. Yeah. She was like fucking devastated. I mean, I can't even imagine. Like, and, and I do feel bad for, even though she was Mary Dolt that day, yeah. I do feel bad for her because I feel like that was the one time she like let her guard down. Right. Like she was, I mean, throughout your life, you can always think about these moments where you almost did something that could have gone a completely, or you did something that could have gone a completely different direction. Right. You just lucked out. Right. So at 8 p.m. that night, the phone rang at the Parker residence. The voice on the other end said, Mr. Parker, do you have the money? Perry Parker was like, yes. And the voice said he would call back in five minutes. But it was much longer than that. It was 30 minutes later that the man called back. He gave Perry instructions to drive to Gramercy and 10th and park his car. Perry Parker took the cash, got in his car, and drove to the meeting point. He did not alert the police about the phone call or his plans to meet the kidnapper. And he waited in his car until 11.45 p.m. When no one showed up, Perry left and went home. But Perry soon learned that the police had tailed him on his trip to meet with the kidnapper. And he figured that this must have spooked whoever had his daughter. And so obviously he was fucking enraged at the police. Like, how dare you? That's why he didn't meet up with me because he saw you guys fucking following me you just fucked everything up by saturday december 17th the kidnapping of marion parker had made national news so they just sort of gave up at that point and they were like let's just fucking let the press right have at it and see what they happen right one of the lead detectives in this case was herman klein aka hard-boiled herman that's what he was known by (laughs) 
I had to include all the very 1920s things. Yeah. I mean, you don't get more 1920s than that. Right. He was known for being a tough guy who could crack tough cases. The other tough guy detective on the case was George Contreras. The Parkers felt assured that these two men could bring their daughter home safely. But a new letter arrived the day following Perry's botched meetup attempt with the kidnapper. And this letter read, P.M. Parker, when I asked you over the phone to give me your word of honor as a Christian and honest businessman, not to try a trap or tip the police, you didn't answer. Why? Because those two closed cars carefully followed your car north on Wilton to 10th and stopped shortly off Wilton and proceeded to circle the block on Gramercy, San Marino, Wilton, and 10th. I knew and you knew. What for? Mr. Parker, I am ashamed of you. (laughs) You'll never know how you disappointed your daughter. She was so eager to know that it would be only a short while before she would be free from my terrible torture and then you mess the whole damn affair. How can the newspapers get all these family and private pictures unless you gave them to them? All this continues after you received my strict warnings. Today is the last day. I mean Saturday, December 17th, 1927. I have cut the time to two days, and only one more time will I phone you. If by 8 p.m. today you have not received my call, then hold a quiet funeral service at your cemetery without the body on Sunday the 18th. When I call, I'll tell you where to go and how to go. So if you don't have your friends, so you, if you go, don't have your friends following. Pray to God for forgiveness and for your mistake last night. If you don't come in this good clean, honest way and be square with me. That's all. Fate. Fox. (laughs) What an asshole. Yeah, he seems really full of it. Totally. Fate Fox. (laughs) What is the fate? Why is he signing it with fate? Is that like his like email signature? It's so irritating. I fucking hate this guy. Beyond the kidnapping, I want to punch this guy in the fucking face. Just wait. Okay. With this letter was another note from Marion. Dear daddy and mother, Daddy, please don't bring anyone with you today. I'm sorry for what happened last night. We drove right by the house and I cried all the time last night. If you don't meet us this morning, you'll never see me again. Love to all, Marion Parker. P.S. Please, Daddy, I want to come home this morning. This is your last chance. Be sure and come by yourself or you won't see me again. Marion. Perry Parker begged Detective Klein to let him attempt to meet up alone with the kidnapper And Klein reluctantly agreed to this. And then Perry received two more letters. P.M. Parker, please recover your senses. I want your money rather than to kill your child. But so far you have given me no other alternative. Of course you want your child, but you'll never get her by notifying the police and causing all this publicity. I feel, however, that you have started the search before you received my warning, so I am not blaming you for the bad beginning. Be sensible and use good judgment. You can't deal with a mastermind like a common crook or kidnapper. Fox, fate. Then there was another one. (laughs) This one's worse. P.M. Parker. Fox is my name. Very sly, you know. (laughs) Set no traps. I'll watch for them. Get this straight. Remember, the life hangs by a thread. I have a gillette ready, and I am able to handle the situation. Fate. Obviously, the dad's freaking out at this point. Right. These letters are coming rapid fire, and they're pretty, like, threatening. He's burning through his telegram budget. (laughs) 
on this crime. How fast are these telegrams being sent? Also, there's no record of someone sending it. Like they just know where they're coming from. Okay, so you can't go to the office and be like, "Is there some douchebag <laughs> <laughs> sending telegrams?" Because doesn't someone have to type it for him? I mean, I don't remember. I don't remember how telegrams work. <laughs> I've never done a telegram. I was wondering that too. Like, isn't isn't like, someone doing it for them? Like, right? Stop. <laughs> like, they're like the old like da 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 da. Fate. Stop. I'm a fox. Stop. Like, isn't someone typing this? Am I wrong? I, mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's sort of like how you got away with back in our day when you'd take your fucking camera to get developed. Right. And you'd have all these scandalous pictures on it. Yeah, and they had to develop them in the little photo hut right. thing in the, right. the grocery store. So maybe it was like the same principle. They're like, none of my business. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. I don't really know how telegrams work. But I think work. that that's happened before. Yeah, I don't know how telegrams work yet. I've, I've never sent a telegram, <laughs> I can assure you that. <laughs> like, I just imagine it's like a really rudimentary fax. I just like, what I know about telegrams is from like movies. Right. So I just, yeah, I think maybe it's what you're saying. It's like a, I'm not seeing, I don't see any. <laughs> right. But you imagine the secretary's like, wow, I had some really interesting. <laughs> Wait, do they gossip about the telegrams they send? Yeah. I don't know. Next, Perry received a phone call from the kidnapper who only said, if you mess this up, she will die. I mean, at this point I'd be like, I get it. I fucking right. get it already. Like you've made your Oh, point. is she? <laughs> Perry left that night to meet up with the kidnapper in a different meeting spot. The police promised to stay away this time. Perry Parker sat in his car at the meeting point for quite some time, agonizing over the worst-case scenarios. All he wanted was his daughter back. Finally, a car approached, and a man stuck his face out the window and pointed a sawed-off shotgun at Perry. The man's face was obscured by a ban- uh, bandana. I'm sorry, I wrote banana. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I would love that. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. <laughs> like he's holding it up like a mustache. <laughs> you won't recognize me with this disguise. <laughs> it looked like this guy, but he had a banana as a mustache. And Can he, I see that lineup again, please? And everyone holds a banana up on their nose. And then he used it as a phone, too. Yeah. I can't hear you. There's a banana in my ear. Stop. <laughs> okay. I feel really bad laughing right before this. Okay. I'm right. sorry. That's horrible. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it literally says banana. <laughs> but Perry Parker recognized the voice. Did you bring the money? Asked the kidnapper. Where is my daughter? Asked Perry. The kidnapper pulled back a blanket in the passenger seat and revealed the face of Marion. She was stoic and staring straight ahead. Perry passed the money from the car, from his car to the kidnapper's car. Then the kidnapper told Perry to wait. And then he slowly drove his car up about 100 feet. The kidnapper opened his car door and dumped something out onto the street. He then sped off into the dark of night. Perry rushed over to what he presumed was Marion, wrapped up in a blanket. When he peeled the blanket back, he saw her face. It was frozen, her eyes staring straight ahead, and the bundle seemed suspiciously light, too. He furiously unwrapped the blanket to reveal what was left of his daughter. <gasps> She had been severed to just below her navel 
and her arms had been cut off at the elbows. It's pretty much the worst case scenario. What the fuck? Yeah. So all these people come out onto the street like, oh, my God, what's going on? Right. And they see this man in absolute fucking agony. So police were called and Detective George Contreras arrived minutes later. When he examined the body, he noticed that Marion's eyes had been stitched open. Oh. And that makeup had been applied to her face to make her appear alive. That's so creepy. It's twisted. The autopsy was done by a doctor who lived next door to the Parkers. So he knew the Parker girls very well. And he said this was like the hardest thing he's ever had to do in his life was this autopsy. He found no bruising on the body, no signs of strangulation or asphyxiation. There was a two and a half inch cut made by a knife above the left shoulder. Her torso had been stuffed with towels. Like it had been disemboweled, cleaned out and stuffed with towels. Detectives located the gray coupe that belonged to the kidnapper. It was in a parking lot downtown. The parking attendant said the owner of the vehicle had dark wavy hair and that he had planned to pick his car up the next day. The following day on Sunday, a man was out for a morning walk in Elysian Park when he stumbled upon four newspaper wrapped items laying in the middle of the road. He unwrapped one and inside was a human arm. When police arrived, the other three bundles of newspapers each contained the remaining limbs of Marion, another arm and two legs. Just an hour later, another grisly discovery was made by two boys who were hiking. It was the remaining section of torso and thighs belonging to Marion. Yeah. When the body parts were taken back to the coroner, he still didn't find any bruising or marks on her body, nor was there any evidence of chloroform in the body leading detectives to believe that Marion could have been conscious during dismemberment. At this time, the reward to catch Marion's killer was $100,000. Whoa. Yeah. Contributors to the reward fund included Jack Warner of Warner Brothers and legendary silent film actress Clara Bow, who happened to be Marion's favorite actress. It was really sweet because Clara Bow actually sent the Parkers a letter of her condolences and that she, you know, wanted to help support them to find her killer so it was it was really sweet a large-scale manhunt ensued and many suspects were questioned and ultimately released but the fingerprints on the gray chrysler coupe came back they belonged to a 19 year old man named william edward hick ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. 
With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Hickman had a criminal record as a juvenile. He'd been charged with forgery before. His prints also matched the ransom notes. According to residents of the Bellevue Avenue apartments where he lived, Hickman was going by the name Donald Evans. Uh, It was said that he fled his apartment a few days earlier, but detectives found a half-eaten breakfast on the kitchen table and a half a hazelnut in the trash, which I found really odd. Who eats half of the hazelnut? (laughs) Those are really small. I had to, I mean, that detail doesn't matter that much. But obviously to us, it does. (laughs) But And they also found another half of a hazelnut wrapped up with marion in her torso oh oh i i couldn't figure that out like why did that how did that happen yeah it was discovered that hickman was a messenger at the same bank that perry parker worked for and that he had forged several checks from there that year totaling around four hundred dollars hickman was fired after his arrest for the forgeries but was given probation instead of jail time William Hickman's mother, who lived in Kansas City, could not believe that her son was capable of such a crime. She insisted that he was a good boy. Oh, brother. Yeah, she's that mom. She said that he moved to California to make it in the movie business and that he took a job at the bank. After his arrest for forgeries, he moved back home with his mom until November 7th of 1927 when he stole the gray Chrysler Coupe Uh, that belonged to a Dr. H.L. Mance and drove it out to California. He was born February 1st, 1908 in Arkansas. When his parents split up, 
He moved with his mom to Kansas City. He excelled in school. He was smart. He was popular. He was president of three different honor societies. He was the vice president of his senior class in high school, and he was also the editor of the yearbook. He was a skilled orator, and he had a knack for debating. And at one point, he was preparing for a national debate competition. He lost, and he was awarded a $5 consolation prize. And this made him furious. <laughs> and we all know, I mean, to me, that is like a big red, red flag that never gets talked about enough. Like guys who want to debate? Yeah. Guys <laughs> who are like really into debating, like spontaneous debating. Yeah. Like. It's irritating. Yeah. No one wants to fucking debate you. Leave me alone. Because it's a, it's, it's a setup. Because if you were like, I don't want to debate you. It's like, oh, you you're, you think you can't win? It's like, no, I'm bored. All right. <laughs> Like, like you're afraid of my ideas yeah and it's like no you're just an asshole right go away i don't want to talk fly. to you <laughs> so, jesus so he looks like an asshole by the way <laughs> looking at him he has like that stupid hair it's all like puffy it's like a pompadour but from the 20s kind of yeah what's right? weird about him is he doesn't look like he's from the 20s yeah he has like a real 50s, 50s vibe to him right because his hairstyle is like he has like very wavy hair, but it's kind of in a pompadour-esque right, look. Right. And he has like a James Dean vibe to him, like where he's trying to pose like a tough guy. Right. There's one picture I saw where he has like a comb. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. So this debate loss, he let this destroy him emotionally. <laughs> he could not fucking handle that he lost this national debate. This was like the first time in his life he'd been told no. Right. And we all know what happens when guys like this are told no. They can't handle it. So he's like, uh, you know, I'm going to do the 1926 national debate, and then I'll show them, and they'll feel sorry <sighs> that they didn't pick me last year to be the debate champion. Imagine that being your thing you're hung up on. <laughs> <laughs> he was really upset about this debate competition. <laughs> well, he lost again. Thank God. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, I was happy that he lost again because he I mean, sounds... I don't like that it turned him into like a criminal, but yeah. Someone who lets that turn them into a horrific criminal fucking was gone from the start. It was going to be anything. Can you imagine like having someone who's gone through like a horrible war-torn <laughs> crimes hearing like, well, what, what, what ruined your life? <laughs> the debate. I lost a debate. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just so crazy. So he graduated high school and he worked a string of jobs that never really went anywhere. He then attended junior college for approximately nine days and he met a man at the library named Welby Hunt and they went and committed an armed robbery together, stealing $70 from a candy shop. The pair moved out to California together in December of 1926, and on Christmas Eve, they robbed a pharmacy, which resulted in a gunfight and a police officer who was shot in the stomach. Wow. Then, of course, in the spring of 1927, was the check forgery when Hickman was working at the bank that Mr. Right. Parker worked at. So after his arrest and he got probation, he returned home to Kansas City, where he was fired from working at the movie theater because... Instead of working, he was just sneaking in to watch the movies. Ugh, this guy. <laughs> this guy. This guy. Why do I have to work? <laughs> he is so entitled. It's crazy. Like in the also, what is it based on? Like In October of 1927, Hickman stole a car from a salesman and drove it all the way to Chicago. 
There, a man matching his description was accused of strangling a girl. And so by the time Hickman's face was all over the national news, the Chicago police were like, yeah, we need to question that guy. He looks like this guy. Right. Finally. Right. Yeah. So a few weeks later, while he was in Pennsylvania, William Hickman matched the description of a robber who shot and killed a gas station attendant. So as soon as his face is all over the news, people are like, hey, that looks like the guy that robbed me. Yeah. Hey. So more people are coming out of the woodwork when they see him. They're like, that piece of yeah. shit. I remember him. He tried to debate me and then he <laughs> shot me in the fucking hand. <laughs> when Hickman made it back to L.A. in November of 1927, he robbed a pharmacy for $30. On Thanksgiving, he met a couple in San Diego and gave them a ride up to L.A. The group planned another pharmacy robbery, which they committed. During one of the robberies, Hickman requested chloroform. He told his accomplices that he had plans for a kidnapping and ransom job. So let's go back to Mary Holt, the okay. administra- the woman, the teacher who was working as an administrator that day. She's obviously a complete fucking wreck. Right. She is under the care of a doctor at this point. Even though the school rallied around her and the Parkers, they assured her, look, it's not your fault. It was an honest mistake. But she ended up quitting her job under the weight of all that guilt. And she was interviewed by the police again. She was shown a picture of William Hickman, and she's like, that's him. Perry Parker remembered Hickman from the bank. He could not believe that this man would want to seek revenge on him. He was just like, uh, yeah, I remember when he was arrested, but I never had any interactions with him. Right. It wasn't he, – he didn't bust him or right. anything like that. He wasn't yeah. his boss. He was like a – he was an assistant cashier at the bank. Right. Like he didn't have some high position. He was just a guy working there. So we'll get into why he chose Perry Parker in a bit. Because Hickman's face was printed all over newspapers nationwide, lookalikes were subjected to attacks from enraged citizens who thought that they had run into the killer. I mean, look, this guy is such a basic white boy bitch. Yeah, these poor, he doesn't have a particularly unique look. No, but yeah. these poor, like, random harmless citizens are being subjected. Look at that guy with brown hair and brown eyes. <laughs> he looks like a douche. <laughs> Debate this. Police were stationed all over the country at this point trying to capture him, from his birthplace of Arkansas to Kansas City to even the Mexico border. One week after Marion's abduction, William Hickman was reported to have been driving a stolen green car up in Oregon. The car's owner was able to identify Hickman when detectives presented him with pictures. Hickman was then sighted up in Washington by a gas station attendant. He paid for his gas with one of the $20 bills containing a serial number from the ransom money. Police spotted a green car, the same one that Hickman was reported to have been driving. And although this car had Washington plates and not California plates, they decided to pull the driver over anyway. The driver of the vehicle was wearing sunglasses and introduced himself as Peck, (laughs) which was the last name of the owner of the green car that he had stolen. So the detectives were like, haha, very clever. Right. We know we just talked to Peck. Yeah. Who owns this car? So he had two passengers in the car with him. The police officer noticed that the driver had a gun on him, so the police officer was like, hey, all you guys step out of the car. And when officers searched the car, they found a sawed-off shotgun and an additional pistol, and inside the glove compartment was the ransom money. And this is a 
quote from the officer. You're Hickman. I knew it. (laughs) All caps. (laughs) And the driver said, yes, I am Edward Hickman. He went by his middle name sometimes. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he was taken into custody along with the two passengers in his car who were like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what? They were hitchhikers. Oh, they were? Yes. <laughs> They're like, wait I'm a sorry. minute. That's why you should never hitchhike. <laughs> William Hickman was calm as shit while he was in custody. I guess it's all over, he said. The two passengers happened to be a pair of hitchhikers who had no idea that they were going for a ride with this murderer and kidnapper. But they agreed to help the police in any way they could, and they were released. Immediately after Hickman's arrest, a grand jury was assembled in Los Angeles, and extradition papers were drawn up to get him back to L.A. for his trial. When Hickman was told that he was named the murderer of Marion Parker, he just burst out laughing. Like, he thought that was very amusing. And then he posed for a photo with two police officers, and before the picture was taken, he said, So should I look like a crook? So he's just being this little edgelord shit. He's in the fox mode. Yeah. He's like, I'm I'm the fox now. Right. (laughs) According to Hickman, he committed the robberies to get money to go to college back home in Kansas City. Oh, brother. Yeah. But he wanted more and a kidnapping seemed like a good idea. He knew Marion Parker from the bank because her father brought her in all the time. It was between Marion... And the daughter of another employee, but he ultimately chose Marion because she was older and figured that it would be easier to kidnap her than the other girl of the other employee because that girl was a baby. So before the kidnapping, William Hickman had found Perry Parker's address written down somewhere at the bank. He staked out the neighborhood days before the kidnapping. After Hickman picked up Marion from school, they drove around for a while talking about their favorite movies and actors. He took her to a movie at a theater in Alhambra that was uh, called Figures Don't Lie. As they drove around, Hickman would stop to sell to Hickman would stop to send the telegrams to the Parkers. At some point, Hickman recruited one of his burglary friends, Andrew Kramer, to watch Marion while he sent telegrams and made phone calls. Next, Hickman said that it was actually Andrew Kramer who killed Marion and not him, and that he didn't want her to die. But detectives discovered that Andrew Kramer had been locked up since August, so he was ruled out as an accomplice, and they knew you're a big fucking liar. Right. You killed her. Hickman then wrote this very sorry I did a boo-boo letter to the newspaper and had them printed out and it was pretty gross i mean it was printed all across america right and the letter was like warning children not to get sucked up into a life of crime there was no apology to the parkers there was no mention of the Parkers. it was all about him it was all about him and it was all about like this is what happens when you get involved with crime just say no to crime kids (laughs) it was like that it was like you wouldn't he's trying to make himself into some kind of martyr now or Right. Something. Like a folk hero. Exactly. I mean, it was basically just a crime is bad and woe is me and now I'm in this I situation. had everything going for me. Right. I was going to be the top debater in the country. <laughs> right. It's like, this isn't your story about your alcoholism. This is your, like, right. you fucking murdered someone. Yeah. Asshole. Hickman's next tactic was to blame his mental health. He oh. was going to plead insanity. 
He saw how it had worked out in the case of Leopold and Loeb, the men who had kidnapped and murdered 14-year-old Bobby Franks. During his stay in jail before the trial, William Hickman attempted suicide twice, but it is believed that he did this to bolster his insanity defense. He was terrified of getting the death sentence, which at that time was still uh, hanging in California. On the train ride from Oregon back to L.A., Hickman confessed that he had acted alone. He agreed to tell Detective Klein absolutely everything. Most of Hickman's initial statement to the police when he was first arrested was true. The only made-up part was that he had an accomplice. But the part about them driving around, right. going to the movies, that that was correct. That didn't change in his like official confession to Detective Klein. In the written confession he made on the train back to L.A., he spilled all of the details of what went down leading up to the kidnapping and how Marion had spent... How Marion and him had spent their days before the murder. At some points, Marion would be restrained with bandages so as not to escape. Other times, she was relatively free to move about his apartment when he would leave for the day. According to Hickman, murder wasn't part of his original plan. But after two days of national press on the kidnappings of Marion Parker, on the kidnapping of Marion Parker, he decided that he needed to kill her if he was going to get money and get away with it. In his written confession, he basically was like, I just wanted to go to college. Ugh, I hate this guy so much. Marion was dead before he even sent the last telegram to Perry Parker, warning of her demise. He strangled her with a towel while she was strapped to a chair and blindfolded. Mm. Next, he undressed her and moved her unconscious body to the bathtub where he began to dismember her. Though she didn't wake up, he believed that she may still have been alive during the initial dismemberment as blood spurted out and right. showed it wasn't like draining out. Yeah. It, uh, how did he dismember her? With a knife. Oh. oh. A big knife. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Hickman said his motives for the killing were purely because he was afraid of being caught. Newspapers across the country published his confessions, just adding to everyone being like, let's fucking burn this right. asshole. And weirdly enough, there was a debate happening over Hickman's love of cinema and whether or not that had something to do with his depravity. So it's nice to know that even a hundred years ago, people yeah. were blaming media. Yeah. He loves, I like that he was probably like an early Lebowski lover, like some guy who was really into film and cinema and loved to debate. Like this guy is such an asshole. Dude, this guy would have been the ultimate like comment section asshole. I mean, it seems that way, right? Like let's debate. I love movies. Right. Yeah. Tell me what your favorite movie is. That sucks. Rank the Coen brothers for me me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong. Right. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) Totally. Doctors who examined Hickman in jail determined that he was sane and that he knew what he had done was wrong. Some thought that he was performing an insane person trying to appear sane. Yeah. To one, this is what one doctor said that Hickman said to him. This is a quote from Hickman. The first time that I masturbated was about two years ago after I left high school. The first time I had intercourse was about 13 years of age. The girl was 12. I did this several times while I was in Kansas City. Hickman also stated, I don't have any use for whores. Whenever I see a whore, I feel like choking her. Ugh. Then 
he wrote this and gave it to a doctor. This is what Hickman wrote down and gave to a doctor. The murder of Marion Parker and the horrible, terrible, simply awful mutilation of Marion Parker's helpless body, a separate deed from the kidnapping of Marion Parker, a distinct crime done in blood with a knife by my own hands, on the morning of December 17, 1927, in the bathtub in apartment number 315 at the Bellevue Arms Apartments of Los Angeles, California, was not meant by me, Edward Hickman, but through me under the guidance and protection and as a duty to this great providence for the great work which it had been calling me since the age of 12 to perform for the safety and security of human rights and liberties in the United States of America. I mean, that's grounds for getting suspended on Twitter for at least a week, right? If you you post that, (laughs) this guy's checking all my, like, like even if he didn't murder like yeah. all of his personality traits and everything he's saying like just ticks every red flag. Yeah, he's horrible. I'm laughing at this headline because I'm looking at these pictures of him and it says Fox or moral imbecile. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what one of the doctors called him a moral imbecile. Okay. Hickman made a confession to a guard one night that during a robbery with Welby Hunt, they killed the druggist at the pharmacy. Hunt implicated himself by accident when he named the gun that he was carrying. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, that was the gun that killed him. Oh, God, what an idiot. What an imbecile. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It was the same gun used to kill the druggist. There was also now suspicion that the two boys had something to do with Welby Hunt's grandfather's very suspicious suicide. Oh. On January 3rd, 1928, Hickman entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. He told a slightly different story to his attorney, Richard Cantillion, about the chain of events surrounding Marion's murder. He claimed that they were having a blast together until after the first botched ransom exchange attempt. Hickman said that Marion became upset and wouldn't stop crying and screaming to go home after that botched attempt. Because what's really chilling to me is Marion was in the car During that first botched attempt, she was in Hickman's car when they drove by and spotted the police. Mm -hmm. So she actually saw her dad waiting for her. Mm. It's just heartbreaking. It's just awful. Do they ever know if she was actually writing those telegrams or was he just pretending? Oh, she was writing them. Oh, she was. And now they analyzed her handwriting. It was her writing them. So Uh, are telegrams handwritten? These were. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So maybe that's. That's how they were. That's how they did it. Okay, you're right. Hickman said that a message from God came to him, and he said that he had to kill Marion so that he could go to college and become a minister. Uh, Why does he think his college career is anything we care about? (laughs) Also, what kind of person wants him as a minister? I didn't even know you had to go to college for that, quite frankly. (laughs) No, he wanted to go to college. Oh, maybe he wanted to go to college for being a minister, but... He he wanted to do both of those things, but the he minister is so full of himself. He added like the minister and the weird. This was a sign from God thing later to sort of be like I'm insane. He, he thinks that he's smarter than everyone. Oh yeah, but he's just so obvious. He's so yeah. so over the top. Marion's final days were not at all pleasant, as Hickman had initially described in his written confessions. He told his lawyer now that he went to the kitchen to get a snack in the middle of dismembering Marion. So he was a came off a lot colder in his 
when he was telling his lawyer all the truth yeah. of everything. So the trial began on January 26th, 1928. And because of Hickman's gigantic ego, he wanted to take the stand to impress everyone with his great orator skills. <laughs> Of course. And his attorneys were like, Jesus, no, don't do it. Do not do it. In don't fact, you just know exactly who this guy is. It's so irritating. This guy exists today. Yeah. Online. Yeah. I've ta- this guy has at replied me before. He's like Michael Tracy. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> don't sue us. But he's like, he has some very Michael Tracy qualities to him. I just, I mean, of course he's going to take the stand. Of course he is. Right. Yeah. He has to fucking. At, it's like when Ted Bunny like defended himself. It's like, oh, you idiots. Like, <laughs> it's like the ego is so out of control. And it's like maybe with Ted Bundy or someone like that, they actually are very smart. But it's like you're such a sociopath. Right. It doesn't matter that you're book smart or whatever. Right. You don't see reality like. Right. And how people are reacting to you. There were actually a few therapists that felt like his insistence in testifying was all just to make up for losing these debate competitions. Oh my God. Like that this trial for him was the ultimate debate competition. Now. <laughs> now the whole world can see. Who's sorry now? Here's your consolation prize. I mean, imagine going to all the trouble. And still getting convicted. You also lost that debate. Right. He lost the debate. He was convicted. He was found guilty, not insane. Yeah. He was found guilty on February, in February 28th. uh, And October 28th, he was hanged. Whoa. Yeah. That's how it worked back then. That's, this was like such a, from crime to conviction to death sentence. It's like less than a, it's like over a year, just over a year. Less than a year. Oh, really? Because this crime happened in December. Oh, right. It's the last month. Yeah. Oh, I got my dates. <laughs> wow. I know. That's crazy. Right. I mean, I thought it was wild. Just, I mean, there was so much that happened in the week since Marion's kidnapping up until they caught him. That was only like a week. Right. I, I think that I thought it was longer because because I didn't know how long it took for him to get arrested. It only took like a week. Wow. So he wasn't even that good of a criminal. And I guess they didn't have appeals then. <laughs> Well, he did appeal and they were like, no. Oh, so that's how it works. <laughs> no, no. They're like, fuck you. Like, I mean, this is a pretty cut and dry case. Yeah. It seems. I mean, he admitted three separate times. There was a mountain, mountains of evidence. Like there was. T- so he was on trial basically to try to get out of it by being insane. He wasn't yes. saying he wasn't guilty. He, had, he yeah. entered a plea of guilty by reason of yeah. insanity. I mean, fuck this guy. Yeah. Like this is someone who has no moral compass. He probably said something right before he was hanged. <laughs> like, oh he God. Probably had, and before I go. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. And his last meal, I have to tell you about his last meal. Hold on. I have to find it. I'm sorry. Cause I forgot to write it down, but it's in the book. This was his last meal. Okay. Eggs, prunes, a Ugh. roll, and coffee. Prunes? Maybe he wanted to shit himself. Maybe that was his final <laughs> speech. And to punctuate my final point, I will shit myself <laughs> upon hanging. <laughs> like what? First the verbal diarrhea, then the actual to diarrhea. To be honest, prunes are kind of good but i would never want them on my last they're, meal yeah they're very sweet and if you get like fresh ones <laughs> like they're like soft and moist no they're fine <laughs> they're fine it's just a very odd like last 
like that kind of era where you're like, ooh, a delicious dried prune. <laughs> it's so sweet. Nature's dessert. <laughs> it's so sweet. That's another thing that infuriates me when someone's like, a piece of fruit <laughs> satisfies my sweet tooth. It's like, bitch, no. I've definitely tweeted about that before. It's the most annoying thing ever. That oh. doesn't satisfy your sweet tooth oh. unless you're literally desperate. When right. When you're like on a diet and I'm like, oh, this apple slice. Oh. Um, so is there anything with the family? Like that was just... Oh, the mom defend. The mom was like, he he's innocent. My boy can no, never... The, the Parker family, they just kind of went back to obscurity. Yeah. 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 Uh, the only thing that's worth mentioning, although I really hesitated to mention this because I didn't want, because the last thing I want in our Facebook group is for people to, I don't want any Ayn Rand discourse in our Facebook group because it's just irritating because I don't fucking care. Right. Because I don't like her and I don't want to hear why people like her. Yeah. I don't want anyone posting. I don't want memes about her. I don't care. Yeah. So you guys. Yeah. Just don't <laughs> post about her. It's like. She, of course, because she's like the queen supreme edgelord right. and contrarian, she was kind of at Hickman's kind of defending him like, well, society just doesn't understand him. And this yeah. is really society's problem. Yeah, she just had some dumb hot I take. mean, she's like the debate me woman. Totally. <laughs> like they should have just gotten married. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised by that take at all. Right. Because she's like, well, he wanted to go to college. Right. Well, her whole thing is that that guy should do what he needs to do, basically. Right. Whatever. Right. I'm going to cut that out. So literally, I think it's really interesting. I know. I just don't want people in our Facebook group being like... If uh, you do that in our Facebook group, we're going to ban you. Right. Because (laughs) we don't want to talk about people's political philosophies and shit. Even though it's on the show. Don't mention it. Yeah. We hate Ayn Rand and we don't care if you like her. Okay. Or her books. Yeah. Guys. (laughs) (laughs) Don't debate us. Look, we were 18 and we met college guys. We know how it goes. Right. (laughs) We've been through that phase. Right. Cool. Yeah, that's it. That's a crazy story. Isn't it? What a fucking horrible guy. I can't believe I didn't know anything about him. Because he's like exactly everything I hate in a man. I mean, just like when the minute I heard his ransom notes, I was like, this is gonna be like a 19-year-old kid. Right. I I honestly did think that he was gonna be a young guy. Because I was like, no one talks this way. Or he's like a really old loser trying to be like cool. the BTK killer, like <laughs> how he got all egotistical right. and like was sending his poems in. There's just something about these guys. I think that's what's disturbing when you meet guys like this in real life because it's like, well, you're not a killer, but you have all the qualities. Right. <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. It's disturbing because right. it's like, well, what snaps in these guys? I mean, obviously, there's a lot to discuss on that. Right. But it's like you see these qualities in guys that have every fucking trait of a serial killer or right. a sociopath or whatever. It's weird. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying there's not women like that. I'm sure there are. But like, I just see the guys more. Well, because the guys are the ones who are in your mentions online. Yes. And the guys are the ones who go after. It's a very online persona for a guy to have. And maybe partially it's that anonymity that gives them this confidence they don't have in real life. But yeah, Uh, he's triggering to me. Right. Everything's very combative and everything's very, I'm very smart. You can't win either because whatever you do, they have a reason for why they still won. So it's like the only thing you can do is ignore it. I mean, it's all ego. Yeah. Okay, then. Right. Well, if you want to go on our Facebook group and not talk about Ayn Rand, (laughs) we can talk about everything else. So, yeah, it's Hollywood Crime Scene Friends at Facebook, and it's a fun group. 
that really dark sense fun. of humor. Every, everyone's really sweet. Everyone's there. nice. Uh, follow us on social if you want to. And if you want to join our Patreon, you have the funds to do that. You can do that at, at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. If you want to help us out, you can leave a five-star review on iTunes. Yeah. We like that too. Right. So, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Cool. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> 